Um, we'll be in Romans again this morning, a little bit of 6, 7, and 8, uh, sort of working backwards in Romans, um, very short, um, sort of breeze through uh, the Himalayas, as it were, um, the high mark of the scripture. Uh, we've looked at the first week um, in parts of, gosh, where were we? Romans 10, uh, 13, and 14, and then we worked backwards last week in parts of Romans 5, uh, 8, and 10 again, and this week will be in 6, 7, and 8. So kind of just to spice it up a little bit, kind of go through, go through things in a slightly different way. So with that, I was trying to put out just some verbiage so everybody could kind of get settled in and grab a, a Bible. Thanks. Um, nope, that's why I was doing that. I was killing time. A little traveling music here as people need to move around. So, um, let us pray. Gracious Father, uh, now come, I pray, and open your word to us. May it not return to you void or empty, but may your Holy Spirit carry us back and interpret us on, uh, on your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, not a heavy script today as I'm thinking through how to, how to wrap this up. Uh, where were we the first week? Let me try to see if I can summarize a little bit um, where all this sort of started for me. Asking the question in some ways, starting at the end. Um, good question, a question I get asked a lot, very appropriately, with we t- as our emphasis on the gospel and um, hearing and passivity and reception and all those different sort of language, people will ask very properly, as it comes up very properly in Romans, what about doing something, Gil? What about activity? What about works? What about loving your neighbor? What about Habitat for Humanity? What about missions? What about just how to, how to, how to, how to manage our finances at the house? How, what's some instructions for how to give to the church? Or, or you know, do I give this much to the church and United Way? Or can I count that from, you know, very practical, you know, right on the ground, good questions. That's kind of where I was starting in this whole working backwards. Because then we ask, okay, so yeah, work. Love is the other way to put that. Um, uh, be loving to your neighbor. Do something. Um, don't just stand there, do something. What's the problem? Uh, doesn't work. <laughs> If you want to get really, really, really practical, like hyperpraxis, right down there on the ground, the command to love doesn't do anything. I don't care how many bumper stickers we put on our car or whatever else, it doesn't change behavior. And that is you know, solid uh, uh, research as well as good theology. The command does not produce the desired change. And so the law, as theology would call it, the commandment, um, which is good, right, and holy, as Paul says in Romans 7, doesn't change behavior. Um, So the command to go out in love, do good works, be giving, open your purse, your checkbook, and give, um, uh, that doesn't just happen. And yet, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And so trying to bring that tension. So what do we do? We start to back up and say, okay, so the world needs more love. And I got a little bit overboard the first week and went all 80s on us um, with all the different love songs that can come out. I mean, it's just so easy, starting with the Beatles, to go right up through the B-52s and just stop and think about love. That uh, all we need is love, and that's a true statement. Um, and yet, what we need so desperately, just the command to love one another. Okay, so we need more love in the world. Um, Well, then go out, get busy, and love each other. Quit being so mean. Quit being so stubborn, so hard-hearted, so stony-hearted, 
and just lay it aside and as much as you are able just love one another live at peace with one another do something differently than what you do and I tried to draw that out with a lot of tension to say okay I get it here's what I know I ought to do and yet I can't do a thing about it I don't do what I know I ought to do and that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 7 so we talked about love and we know we need more love and yet it doesn't have the, uh, the effect by saying that but Paul doesn't leave us there we had to sort of go out of Romans and look and borrow from him uh, in, in Galatians 5 where he said faith expresses itself or works itself out in love and so that should be a big sort of ah this will be helpful so what does that mean so if we need more love Paul would give us an answer and say if we need more love it has to be generated by faith so there it is so I can just tell you all to have faith I can tell myself to have faith and that will get the desired effect. To change the world, all we need is more love. So let's just all have faith. Well, not quite. Um, the command to have faith is no more efficacious. Sometimes I get hung up, and I wish I didn't have those words in my head, but I do. Um, uh, it, 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 just telling you to have faith, telling ourselves to have faith, doesn't produce the effect, doesn't create the effect that is desired any more than telling you to have more love. But Paul comes in with a lightning bolt there in Romans 10, um, and he's built up to this. In the context of something else, he, uh, he drops it in on us, that faith cometh by hearing, and that being the word of Christ, which he's identified earlier very specifically, not just any word from Christ, not just because there's a red letter uh, in the Gospels, but what he calls the Gospel, the Gospel with a capital G, um, faith comes by hearing. So faith is created from nothing. Um, faith is created by hearing the gospel. And so the receptive life, the vita passiva, that's the shorthand, um, vita passiva uh, in Latin, um, the passive life, or better, the receptive life, that we as creatures from a creator are created to receive specifically through the ear. We are created to receive the spoken word of the gospel. For the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and the gospel is located very particularly in a location, and that location is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The, the, the gift, as we looked at in Romans 5, uh, is Christ, the person of Christ. Gift and grace in the Greek are translated from the same word, charis. We get the word charismatic, in other words, giftmatic. So we have the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, which is the same Spirit of Christ. So the gift and grace being the same thing comes to us only through Christ. So now we see the chain. Um, the world needs more love. I desperately need more love. I desperately need to be more loving to my neighbor, to my family, to my wife, to my children, to y'all, to, to open my checkbook, to open my my heart, to open my hands, to open my mouth, to open my feet and walk into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit in a more loving, patient, fruitful way. The only way I do that is through faith. And the only way I receive faith is by hearing the word of Christ, which is the gospel, which is this, the demonstration that God loves me at particularly the right time. It's all summary giving you sort of a biblical theology, a theological interpretation of Romans is what I'm giving you if you want that. What is the right time that comes out of Romans 5 
where at precisely the right time, he's very specific in his articles, not a right time, the right time, Christ demonstrated his lo- God demonstrated his love by dying for us while we were weak, un- while we were weak, his enemies and ungodly, and yet sinning. At that time, not when we've kind of got it together, not after I said yes to him, not anything else, when I am as far away from him as I could be, when I am actively in opposition and in rebellion to God, at that time, the right time, the, uh, the chirotic moment, the time outside of time, then God died for me, for you. That is the capital G gospel. That creates faith. Faith is the experience of being loved. Faith is belovedness. So belovedness works itself out in love. John would say the same thing. Um, We love because we are first loved. We love because we are beloved. We are loved because we are loved by God when we are actively in rebellion against him. And that is called the gospel. So all that plays out in a very particular way. And then we continued in the second week and looked at the, uh, the strange location, again, of comfort, of strength. Uh, with all of this, um, Paul reckons then this world, because that all sounds great, especially when we're in here, and we're like, okay, I almost believe. I almost believe, because I hear it, and it's like a part of me is being woken. It's like a part of me is being raised from the dead, Paul would say. Um, and yet when I leave here, it's like I forget who I am, and I go back away. And Paul knows that. And he says, he gets into our minds and he asks all these very appropriate and timely questions in Romans. And he, uh, he creates this sense in Romans 8, and this is what we looked at in the first half. Um, we'll probably look at it a little bit more again today. He's talking about, especially in Romans 8.26, that we are confused. Let me go ahead and turn and read that. Um, uh, the confusion and the weakness and the groans which are just pervading this world are shared by none other than God himself. And so Romans 8.26 talks about this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so there, just as one way to summarize a lot of what Paul is saying in these parts of Romans, uh, in our weakness and in our confusion, we don't even know what to pray for. Um, we're so, uh, uh, so spun out, so depleted, so cut off, so um, unoriented, disoriented. Uh, we don't even know what to pray for. And at that moment, at the right time, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. And so this groaning, this weak, this confused place what does God then do? He sets up this chain, what's sometimes called the golden chain, which can sound very abstract, as if they were, as if the Bible said, here, I'm going to give textbooks section headings now. And so you seminarians can go away and just sort of play in your heads and all that sort of stuff. The golden chain of Romans 8, 29 and 30. Is that right? Um, yes. Uh, where he talks about uh, the movement from... Um, Uh, Let's read it. Uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
where we get into this heavy world of election and we think, oh, boring. Um, oh, you know, uh, this is where it gets divisive and this is where everything kind of splits off. And this is where I feel bad about myself because how could I be elect if I know what I'm actually like on the inside? Surely um, I can't be counted as one of those people because I know who I actually am. And that's not the way, as you read it here, God wants to say this at all. Um, uh, the word of election, the word of calling, the word of foreknowledge, the word of justification, the word of glorification is all meant as sweet comfort for sinners. That's what our own 39 articles say. As I talked about last week, um, where is our activity in any part of this? It doesn't happen. When we're weak and godless and his enemies, when I'm confused, I don't know how to pray, when I need someone to, to, to do something for me because I'm, I'm dead. I'm not just drowning. I'm at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, the word comes that God chose me. He pulled me out from before time what we call predestination or election, a word that's so freighted with so many associations. Bag those and put them over here for right now and hear this word, that God, remember, faith is love. Faith is being loved. And the love goes even before we were in our mother's womb, as it would say. It's too wonderful for me. That comes out of the psalm, Psalm 139, that you knew me, you knit me, you knew me before I was in my mother's womb. Such knowledge, your knowledge of me, is too wonderful for me. So much so it scares me. There's fear involved there. But also fear intermingled with this, this, oh, could it be? Could there really be such a love that would not let me go? A love that knew me even before I was, before I was. Before I was, it was. This love which loved me. This love which could produce in me faith. Faith being belovedness. And love which then, as we so desperately need, to love and be loved by another. And that's where this chain starts to set up. Put it on the shelf, the idea of election being sort of the division of the haves and the have-nots, the Dr. Seuss places and all that. It's just, no, God loves you this much, a love that will not let you go, that time before time, God called you, no, not called, um, predestined you. And then from that predestination, which is also foreknowledge, knowing us before, is also called predestination. And if that's time before time, and then in the gracious act of time in time, he called. So after we were born, at some point, we hear his voice. You know, Gil, come home. I love you. I know you. I know what you do, and I don't care. I love you anyway. You are my beloved son. Um, I, I am the Lord your God. Come to me, you who travail. You have... Uh, this saying to be trustworthy and true. Christ Jesus died for you to save you from your sins. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, but you are alive in me, for I have taken you and I have hidden you in me, in God. You are mine. Beloved, beloved, beloved. And the Bible calls that calling. So before time and then predestination and then calling and then we're at peace with God. Romans 5.1 And now, therefore, brothers, therefore, sisters, we have peace with God. If God is really God, and sin is really sin, we would have no reason, if we stand actually before a living God with that kind of freight, there is no peace. 
But the gospel, which comes and says, no, I've got this. The death that you should die, I have died. And you have peace with God. It's a big word. when We say, the peace of the Lord be always with you. To slow that down and think, okay, I'm starting to see what that looks like. Where from the time before time to now the time in time, I have peace with God. Love, being loved, faith, producing love. Faith going out into the world with hands, with feet, with an open uh, uh, purse, keep saying that, um, with, uh, with patience, with gentleness, with meekness, with kindness, with self-control, with something that somebody in your life desperately needs this, this very hour. Um, that's the way we have that. And then that comes forth, we call that justification. You see, it's not just a seminary textbook. It's not just a, a pericope heading. It's actually a word of comfort, of strength, of, uh, of assurance. And then from there to the life language, glorification. Our final judgment has already happened. We need have no fear about what happens. With Doug's greater resting word about his father reaching up at the moment of his death, our final judgment has already happened and we've met the Lord in glory. And that's his word there. So with all that, it should raise a lot of questions. And I'm going to hopefully go there a little bit um, to fill some of that out in Romans 6 and then 7 and then 8. But let me hit pause. That was just the, uh, you know, let me flood you all a little bit um, with uh, the last couple of weeks. Any, any comments or any connections from that? Some of you all have been here the last couple of weeks. Some of you all, it's the first time. Um, You've been marinating on anything like that? What's what's stirring? I'd be I'd be interested if you had something. And you may not. No, no expectation. Any questions or thoughts? So from that, then let's um. We want to start. Let's turn back. Uh, you know, hold Romans six. Um, see if we can move through this. In a, uh, in a helpful way. Um, all this then, we'll start to think about identity. Okay, so if that's true, if I dare believe that, if I dare let myself feel that and experience that as a, uh, as a concrete reality in my life, what would that mean? Um, beginning to think of the question, you know, who am I? You know, Jean Valjean's being upended, you know, who am I? Uh, from an act of grace, from an act when he was yet sinning, uh, that somebody died for him, um, the bishop, um, Bienvenu, uh, where he gives him the candlesticks. You remember that part, um, one of the famous places, both in the, the musical but also in the book. Um, it should begin to beg questions. Well, then who am I? What might this mean? Um, and Paul has a very unusual way of describing all this. Um, Read, I'm going to read Romans 6, 1 through 11. Um, uh, death and life. Um, again, Paul um, getting into our inner monologue, as it were. He wants to deposit a voice. He wants to be a voice in our head. And so he keeps having these questions in Romans where he says, What then shall we say? Um, uh, what shall we say to these things? It's like he's following along. He's trying to create in our minds a certain train of thinking. And so from all that, he's like, What then shall we say to all this? And then he's going to say, this sounds too easy. Um, this sounds like it's a sort of almost a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I can do whatever I want to do uh, 
uh, without consequence. And Paul's going to say some of that um, and he wants to draw in. He's going to give an answer in verse 2 um, and then he's going to keep going back, I think, because I looked at this a couple of days ago. I think in every verse after that, he's going to keep going back to the answer that he gives. So here's what he says. What then shall we, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound or that grace may superabound? By no means. Uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So that's his answer. His answer is death. His answer is our physical death, but also the death that we die in this time from the point of our calling going ahead. Uh, what then shall we say? This seems to be a convenient arrangement. Um, let's just keep on sinning. Not many of us actually do that. Uh, it has been sort of thought of um, at several points throughout history and tried a couple of times. There was a monk named Rasputin that thought this was a good idea. Um, but most of us at least wonder, you know, what, what does this mean? I mean, where again is there any um, sort of word to behavior? Word to fruit, word to what 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 I see of myself, and he's gonna his answer is gonna be it's a moot point uh, because it's a jurisdictional question. He gets very legal here. A lot of attorneys in the room, so y'all can help me here. Uh, it's a it's a jurisdictional question. The law, the commandment to love, the commandment to do something, the commandment to be something that we know we cannot has ended because the jurisdiction ends at the boundary of death. And that's going to be Paul's word. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, our, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So here's what Paul's going to say, and then he's going to pick this up again in Romans 7. The law's jurisdiction, the commandment, the, the, the word to do something, to be active, to go out and love, um, uh, which always accuses, which is always measuring, and which always then causes us to doubt. Doubt that what? That chain of foreknowledge to predestination to calling to justification to glorification. That can't be me, because I know my life. And Paul wants to say, no, you've died. The law has no jurisdiction over you. It's the strange defense. Law, you're right. You're good, right, holy, and true. Your accusation is correct insofar as uh, 
insofar as it goes. But you've got me confused with someone who's alive. I'm not alive, I'm dead. And therefore, double jeopardy applies. You cannot accuse me again. You've already done your work. I am dead. And he goes back to that every single time. And he makes the full declaration in 6.14. That's going to be sort of the verse that carries this over. For sin, um, it's like uh, I heard this said once. It's like the game of Clue. We play that sometimes. It's like the butler with the candlestick in the parlor kind of stuff. It's sin taking the law, you know, in wherever, in the, in the human creature. Uh, the murder weapon is the law. The law is good. But sin takes it and kills. Well, now that we're dead, sin will have no more dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. We have been taken to a new jurisdiction. That should create in us um, questions because it doesn't feel like I'm in a different jurisdiction. It doesn't feel like something has actually happened where I've been carried over from the state of being under law to the state of being under grace. Um, and that's what Paul wants to talk about in Romans 7, amongst other things, where he picks up words like, What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, well, I'm not going to read that whole part. It's going to take too long. Um, uh, he, um, let's do 13 through, through 25. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, not the law, producing death in me through what was good, in order that sin might, shown, might be shown to be sin, uh, and through the commandment, or the law, might become sinful beyond measure. So sin, in a certain sense, intensifies sin. So I know what sin is because of the law. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So Paul is now going to create these sort of these overlapping circles, the old Adam and the new creature, the old age, the age of the flesh, where death reigns, and the, uh, the age of the spirit, or the new creature, where there is life immortal. And then right now we're in the overlap of the ages. And so if I had a Venn diagram, if I was drawing it up here, it would be here and here, and we're right there. Where we're in one, we're sort of in that life in between. And Paul's going to speak in strong declarations, like in 6.14, where it's over here, you are no longer under sin, but you are under grace. No ambiguity. It's not a question. And yet, we're still living in this world, in this time, where we know that the law is spiritual, but I am under flesh, sold unto sin. doesn't sound like I'm outside of it. I'm still in that struggle. And Paul's now going to intensify that struggle. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing. He's talking about this circle over here. I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law, even though earlier in 6.14 he said, you're not under law. Now he's saying, but here it is, the law, which is still living and active and working on us, even though it's not our jurisdiction. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's sort of a this circle statement. Uh, but I see in my members, remember the mortal flesh, my members, this flesh, this, this, this body, another, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man, his great um, utterance in, in 724, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, his summary statement, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. From this perspective, what is our identity? Our identity is beloved. In my mind, what he is saying, this idea, uh, uh, we'd really say our heart. When he says mind and heart, Paul wants to say the same thing. In my heart of hearts, at the soul level, at the core of whom I am, in my mind, I serve the law, the good, right, and true law of God. And yet in my flesh, that's over here, and yet in my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I am torn in these two worlds. To make it clear, our identity is secure. Who am I? Echoing Jean Valjean. I am loved. I am loved. And that's the identity that I am. That's all God sees. Augustine, the early Augustine, to get all sort of historical on you, was wrong. Where he thought, um, when a phrase like what Luther later pulled back onto the table, simul justus et peccator, uh, people like Augustine thought that means, okay, so that means simultaneously saint and sinner. So he's partially sinner, but partially just, partially righteous. And that's not what that means. It's massively misunderstood. Um, it means that from God's perspective, as he looks upon us, the only identity we have is righteous. Christ righteousness given for me. And it's not a legal fiction. It's so much so that we're taken, we're hidden in Christ in God, that what, what God says to Christ, he therefore says to me, this is my beloved son. Everything that God says about his son, he then says to me and to you. Your identity is firm and secure. You are loved. And yet in this world, our experience, not our identity, is one of groans, is one of confusion, is one of weakness, is one of yet sinning. The continuation of in these last days, as the Bible would describe it, of death. Um, as long as death is still around, um, as long as there's disease, want, privation, uh, uh, a struggle of what I want to do, I can't do, if I'm tired, I mean, just that basic. Uh, you know that we're still in these last days. We're still caught in that Venn diagram. Um, if you're ever wondering, you know, is this it? Has he come back? Nope. Obituary, we're still there. People are still dying. We know we're not done yet. Um, uh, the experience, not your identity, is one of longing, of need, of yearning, of, uh, of, 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 of death, as he says in Romans 6. So therefore, he goes out in Romans 8. Let me come to an end and see if we can get a conversation going. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done with the law, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son 
and the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. Okay, so what does this mean in sort of practical, sort of day-to-day life? Um, see if I can wrap this up and, and leave two, three minutes. Um, so there is the law and there is the gospel. This isn't quite right, but kind of making this, this kind of is right. Let's see if I can work this out, kind of on the fly. If we had those in capital letters, just for the sake of semantics, there's the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, the Torah. Uh, uh, Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, uh, everything that, that comes, the law of God, which uh, abrases us and kills us and tells us who we are as not God. <laughs> Um, and as an idol maker, and all those things which put us in a place uh, of death. Um, That's the law, capital L. And then there's the gospel, capital G. And as I said earlier, that word is love. That word is you are loved. You are loved specifically at the right time, while you are yet sinning, while you are yet rebellious, weak, godless, and an enemy of the Creator, when you're inserting yourself where you ought not be, and that's in the position of God, He comes and dies for you. That's the Gospel. The Gospel is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So that's the law and the Gospel. So now here's a good question. What about the way we sometimes talk about you know, the law, which produces anxiety? The law of good looks, or Fitbit, or um, you know, the law. You know, my 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 yard right now is just littered in pine cones because I haven't done a thing to it since Thanksgiving. Um, uh, and so there's that law when I pass by it of Thou shalt be a good neighbor and pick up your pine cones, you moron. You know, you're bringing down the property. What about that law, lowercase L? Or what about the gospel? You might want to say lowercase G. I mean, just yesterday I read. This is great. Um, some of y'all might have read this. In Virginia, I think it was, there's this vet, served three tours. He was a Green Beret in Afghanistan. Um, and he's not doing well. PTSD, alcohol, you know, just really struggling. Um, and he, uh, he was on probation, and he lied to the judge. He came in for, for a probation violation, and he lied to the judge, and he was caught in a bold lie. Um, and so now the judge had to do something. You know, here's this vet, this man who served his country very, very well, Green Beret, uh, and he lied. Not an awful lie, just said, yeah, I was, no, I was home by 11 or whatever it was. And the judge knew it wasn't true. He had to execute the law. And so he, uh, he said, you know, you're, you're lying. Here's the tape or whatever it was. He knew he was lying. You got to spend a night in jail. Well, what about Little G Gospel when a story like this happens? And so this judge, who also was a vet, and he also had a lot of compassion and understanding. He knew this man somehow, because he's, this is a special court for veterans and all that stuff. He knew he had to execute the law, but he knew that this man suffering from that kind of PTSD, he probably knew his own, uh, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, um, probably knowing the man's history. He was worried about him spending a night in jail, in isolation, in a cell, by himself. That was the key part. He thought, that's not going to help this man. So what did the judge do? This actually happened, like last week. The judge said, you've got to go to jail. You're going to spend a night. And the man walked into the cell, and right before the door closed, the door opened again, and in came the judge with a mat and a sleeping bag. And then the door closed behind the two men 
And the judge sat there in the jail. And they talked all night long, just together. What do we do with a story like that? I'm about to cry, you know? <laughs> That's gospel. It's lowercase g gospel. Because that is not Christ Jesus who was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We don't want to mistake that. That is the gospel. The gospel is not the gospel of works for going out. The gospel is not, you know, so with every knee bowed and, or with every eye closed and every knee bowed, you know, do you invite Jesus? That's not the gospel. A lot of churches will say that, and I'm saying a big thing here. The gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is it. And yet now in this space, oh, we should have had a newsprint. In that space and the life lived in between, there can be such a thing as a lowercase l law and a lowercase g gospel, which drives us to the capital L law and the capital G gospel, where the law is always in service of the gospel. The law always leads us to Christ. Even now as we're believers, living in this world where we know the thing I want to do, I don't. The thing I want to be, I'm not. And yet, I am. No longer sold unto sin, but now under the realm of grace. That in between time, the lowercase l law, um, you know, maybe if I... Uh, uh, I'll go downstairs because I have my Fitbit on and I'll get another 60 steps. It's a thing in our house right now. Um, you know, that's a law. We've all got it. I've got my own things like that. And it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's this world. And then we hear a story like that man who goes into the cell with the, uh, with the vet uh, delivering the proper sentence and yet just drenched in love, drenched in concern. I think that's what we do with stories like that. Um, now in service of the law and the gospel, the true law, the law of God and the gospel of God, uh, we now live our life as hearers in the receptive life, letting ourselves be freed from sin and death and showing up and doing something maybe like what that, that judge did. That's not to say that's, that's our life, but, but something like that's there. You know, just being more patient with may may. With, uh, with Caroline, with Margaret, for y'all to be whatever it is with you. Um, that's how we make sense of that. So I think I'll stop there. Um, comments or thoughts? We've got a minute or two. Lowercase l, law, lowercase g, gospel, capital L, capital G, Romans. Also, if I'm understanding what you're saying, I've always read this, and it's been concerning that in 6, 10, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. And, I, and you know, it's easy to think, well, then I'm, then I'm not there yet because sin does have dominion over me. But what you're saying is it doesn't have dominion over your identity. That's right. You are there yet. The moment that God, in his foreknowledge of you, foreknew you and predestined you, you were no longer in the realm of law, but in the realm of grace. Your jurisdiction was firm, fast, and secure. And that's why those words aren't, again, take the freight and put them on the side, they're a word of comfort and assurance. Okay, so I'm free. Why am I free? Because I'm already dead. <laughs> um, we're zombies. We don't think we're dead. When we come to a realization in our calling, oh, I am dead in my trespasses and sins. It's Ephesians 2.10. Oh, I get or 2.8. Um, now, now I see with a new eye and a new ear, a new life. And yet, I'm still in this place. And so the Bible's real clear. You know, this is true. Your identity is firm. And yet, your experience, that's where I'm drawing that out, uh, 
your experience is yet something else. The two are not mutually contradictory. You need a, a simul. You need a simultaneous. Simul justus et peccator. At once righteous, loved, and yet needy, fleshly, dying, um, impatient, moronic. <laughs> um, uh, that's it. Tension. A lot of that. There it is. But my word in all these three weeks is the, the, the faith is the experience of being loved. Um, that's really where all this started for me. It's not the last work. We don't, so, so if, if what I need is to have faith, I guess that's my part. I need to have faith. No, you still receive because none of us work for love. Um, otherwise, it's not love. It's manipulation. Um, it's quid pro quo. It's simply reception. You are loved and everything flows out of that faith expresses itself in love let me me pray take these feeble words Lord and multiply them they would not return to you empty or void Lord for the sake of those whom we love um, make us more loving as we are loved by you Um, turn our hearts to you incline our hearts to keep this law now Lord a free expression a spontaneous and spirit-filled expression of your love of us, that we would, without knowing what the left hand is doing, um, uh, be gracious recipients of this love. Um, Come, Lord, come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.